Welcome to episode 279 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. In case you missed it, the $10 a month founding member price ends April 30th. What am I talking about? This month, I launched the Content and Connection Club, an intentional community of abundant-minded entrepreneurs where you can ask questions, get support, find friends, get referrals, and celebrate your wins. Sign up at contentandconnectionclub.com for just $10 a month and get access to thousands of dollars worth of courses and content you can dive deeper into at any time. Guidance from me on which topics you personally should focus on each month. The hashtag no more bad zoom virtual happy hours every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Online discussion forums on topics that will help you grow your business. Ongoing training and tips from me on the topics you request and answers to your specific questions during the extensive live Q&A sessions every single Friday. Act fast because the price is going up to $25 a month starting May 1st. We're an inclusive group, so you can and should share this with all of your friends because this is how we're all gonna benefit and grow. And one of the best parts about being a business owner is the ability to choose how I spend the revenue I earn. So half the proceeds of membership fees will be donated to Feeding America, which provides critical support to food banks across the United States. See, while producing their virtual events the last couple of years, I learned so much about the important work they do for our neighbors facing food insecurity, and I am proud to support them in this way. So if you've been looking for deeper connections and support to fight the isolation of being a business owner, and you want to be part of an intentional community of abundant-minded entrepreneurs, we welcome you to join the Content and Connection Club. You can join at any time, but if you sign up by April 30th, you'll get to join at just $10 a month. That's the founding member pricing. Sign up at contentandconnectionclub.com. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes relationships are at the heart of everything she does. She knows that you can't be successful in business or in life unless you are successful in cultivating winning relationships. She's a sought-out executive coach and leadership expert who helps leaders achieve outstanding results through the power of their professional relationships. At last count, she and her company, SkyTeam, have supported the development of more than 10,000 leaders from 20 countries and on six continents. She's the award-winning author of three books, Cultivate, The Power of Winning Relationships, The Future-Proof Workplace, and her latest book, You, Me, We, Why We All Need Friends at Work and How to Show Up as One. She's recognized by Thinkers 360 and People Hum as the HR thought leader to watch. Please join me in welcoming Morag Barrett. Hey, Robbie. Great to see you again. Morag, so, so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us from your place in Colorado. As you know, this is a show at Building Strong Networks, and the, the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Can I actually go on a bit of a tangent? Because even in asking that question, I have the flashback to an, a transatlantic flight. I was going back to England from Denver, sat down. And of course, you go, in those days, you start chatting to somebody next to you. And they asked me that very same question. 
And I remember being flummoxed because my answer was like, no, I'm the facilitator. I ask the questions. But to actually be put on the spot and to be asked, what did I think leadership is? I still remember it to the day. It actually made me speechless. And as you know, I'm a bit of a chatterbox. But here's how I would answer it today. And it isn't a set in stone definition. It's one that emerges. But for me right now, being a leader means being the best I can be in this moment in order to help you to be the best you can be so that we can succeed together. And that for me is leadership. It's the inside outside mutual experience. I love this. I love it. It's just like, it's, and it's also like a, in every moment you have the ability to say, this is the moment I'm going to, I'm going to step into my leadership. Like, you always have the opportunity to do it. And the opportunity presents itself all day, every day, all week, every week. I love this. And that then it's about rising up so you can help others rise up. This is beautiful. And I love this this little uh, picture you just painted of yourself, a younger you on a plane, <laughs> uh, on a long plane ride where you, yes. I guess talk about pretty much everything. And this question is coming up and it kind of gets you speechless and a little flummoxed. Um, when did you start thinking that you maybe had some of these skills, this ability to sort of show up authentically in the moment? So, I, I, again, I, I remember a time at about 13, walking to school, and teenage years are tough no matter where you are or what you're doing. Um, and I remember a moment where I'd walk with my head down, trying to be invisible, don't want to be seen. And I can still, I can picture the alley I was walking through to get the bus, the night, the 78A from Brightling Sea to Colchester. But I had this epiphany of, no, you, 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 ha- you're, you have a right to be here. And starting to walk with my head held high. Now, I'm not sure that that's when I recognized I had the potential to be a leader because I still followed the status quo of res- respect your elders, listen sit in your chair, like when I joined banking, for example, the you're too young to be promoted to a manager, you haven't managed a team, you haven't managed a team that's big enough, oh, you've only worked in small branches, you need to work in a big, you know, all the never-ending excuses. But all of those were forming the foundation for the leadership truth that I'm stepping into. But even though my career is now 30 years old, Robbie, I will tell you, I still have moments of doubt as to, am I really a leader? Am I really a thought leader? How come? But you have to brush those aside and get get through those because we all have a story to share and we all have ability to go back to your first question, a choice in the moment to step up and lead. And that's powerful. Uh, I love that you're sort of owning up to the fact that we still have these moments of, you know, anytime we step out of our comfort zone and try something new um, or reach for something and someone says, not yet, you're not ready. Mm. <laughs> which it sounds like, yeah. you know, in, in your earlier career, that was a constant, <laughs> constant response. And it, it happens even now as you as you're like, I'm the entrepreneur, but the, the knowing you're not ready might be your own voice this time as opposed to an oh. external one. <laughs> oh, yes. My own voice can be my worst derailer in terms of paralysis or overanalyzing. And again, I'm still getting used to it. I mean, I'll give you another story. It was ironic. My own words coming back to bite me. And here it was, I was getting ready to write The Future Proof Workplace with Dr. Linda Sharkey. And I was sitting at DIA. It's amazing how stories like just imprint in your memory. 
But I was sitting at DIA waiting to get on my flight and remember thinking, well, gosh, Dr. Linda Sharkey, you know, she's been this. She's an amazing big wig. There's little on me. What do I know about writing a book and, or writing about the future of work? Am I doing the right thing? And then I had a flashback to the night before where one of my sons, Matthew, we'd had a conversation where he said, I hope we don't, I don't mess this up. And I was like, what do you mean? Mess what up? And he goes, life. And I was like, Matthew, you can't mess up life. You know, like, write your own script, go do it. He's very successful now. This is five years ago. So there's Matthew, obviously the generation following me. There's me sitting there in a moment of self-doubt. So as ever, I'm scrolling through my phone and this meme pops up that says, don't believe everything you think. Ironically, by me. It was posted by me. And so the universe put that in front of me. So anyway, I get on the plane. I spend the day with Linda. We outline the book. We've got the great skeleton and we understand who's going to write what sections. And at the end of it, she turns to me and goes, you think we can do this? Do you think it'll be any good? And so there we go. Three stages of life where we've all got that imposter syndrome in our head or verbalizing it. And it makes me laugh because I don't know that it ever goes away. But again, as a leader, as a self-leader, we have a moment and a choice to step forward in spite of the risk. You said it earlier, to get out of our comfort zone and do it anyway. Because what's the worst that happens? We learn to write a better book the next time around. So there you go. Another that's, story. Another that's anecdote. Probably the, that's probably the difference between uh, the people who take imperfect action and the people who are paralyzed by choice. And it's the willingness to to try something, to, to know they'll learn, to know they'll get better. That, yeah. That's the only way forward. And it's, it's like a, I feel like it's a muscle we have to constantly use so that the moments of self-doubt get smaller and less paralyzing. Because if you sit in those moments, they really do take over your psyche. And, that the, and it's not just your voice then, but everyone who's ever told you you're not ready can kind of come in and, and it's a course of, yes. of, of doubt being thrown at you. I, this is great. I, I love the direction this conversation went, but I'm going to take you back a little bit, Amarag, because um, I'm always curious. And this is I, part of why I love this podcast is that I get to ask things I would never ask getting to know you otherwise. Okay. But I'm kind of curious who you were as a kid. You, you got us back to 13, <laughs> you know, but even before that, like you're on the playground, you know, um, were you were you kind of watching what was going on? Were you organizing kids? Did you run for office? Did teachers think of you as a leader? Like, how did you sort of show up even back then before we had the word leader in our vocabulary, before we were trying to be something? Who, who just sort of were you out in the world at that point? So it's interesting. Do you want the Morag version or do you want what's written in my school report cards? Because I remember school as being, well, on the work side, relatively easy. My report card tells me I'm a B student. It confirms what I know, which I was a chatty one. So if the teacher asked for anything, then yeah, I was probably one of the first to go, oh, I know, I know. Um, but in terms of, no, I remember being bullied. Yeah, I remember when I got a picture of I was sitting leaning again. I was trying to be a leader because the teacher had gone out and put me in charge of the class. And I remember standing, leaning against their desk. And another kid came and swept my feet out from under me. And, you know, you go back and you bang your head and all of that. Still carry that with me. Um, so, no, I was on the periphery until I got to teenage years. And then I did, um, my best friend and I went into different groups. She went into the cool kids group. I remember this. 
And I went, I did physics and applied mathematics. So let's be clear, there was five of us in the class. I was the only girl. We were the geeks and nerds. But we also had access to cars and would go to the pub at lunchtime. And it was only after we graduated that I found out that the cool kids, from our definition, looked at the fun that the little group I was in was having and wished they were in that group. So it's funny, we're all, you know how the they in companies, well, they need to do something. We're all the they to somebody. And if we're not paying attention, are we being the they for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? Are we helping others or are we the they that people are BMWing, bitching, moaning and whining about? So going back to school, was I the leader of the pack? No. I mean, I got into mischief. Um, I, was the, I was the safe one. I did my homework on the bus, got it in on time, just um, sailed under the radar. Uh, it sounds like you um, got an interesting lesson, though, after school about how we all perceive each other. I mean, that's a that's a that's like a good life lesson to have this perspective, especially at a younger age, that there's uh, that others have their own perception of us. Like, you know, we're I mean, we're all just focusing on ourselves. My mother gave me a quote. Um, she doesn't remember telling me this, but when I was 12, she said, you're only the main character in your own play. And mm-hmm. as, as a 12-year-old, it was devastated to hear this. <laughs> Um, I was very sad. I wasn't invited to something that I was told I would be or something. And I, but as an adult, it's like, not only is that a truthism, but it's, it's a little freeing. It's like most people aren't actually paying as close of attention to us as we think they are. Um, but we can make up such stories in our head about other people. There's the other yes. people's story. And even the cool and kids were doing it. Like, yeah. And, and, and the, the thing about those uh, uh, other stories is that they can keep us boxed in for fear of how others might react. And therefore, we limit our potential. But the reality is, unless we try it, I mean, Dan Pink's new book, I haven't read it yet, but I've been watching the research and the social media, and he talks about regret and the thousands of people that wrote in to share the things that they regret. And I'm one that doesn't really carry regret. I work on the basis if I change anything in my past, then I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. And I'd rather be here talking to you right now. And everything in the past has set me up for now. But essentially, the the learning of his research is we don't regret the things that we did or the things that we did and we fell over and failed or didn't achieve the results we wanted. The regrets are mainly, especially as we get older, about the the risks we didn't take. So, for example, moving to America was a big deal. My boys were seven and four at the time, and we decided that we weren't going to hedge our bets. We sold up everything in England, and ironically, we just bought new cars, we just moved house, you know, a lot of expense. We sold it all up, moved to the U.S. with the intent of, well, even if it's only two years, it will have been an adventure. The boys will have got a a rich experience. We'll go back to England a few thousand pounds or dollars poorer, but we'll just pick up where we left off. And here I am now, was it 17, 18 years later, still here, dual citizen. It wasn't even on the cards to live and work abroad when I was a teenager. But if I'd stayed on the traditional career path, you know, you join the company, keep your head down, your nose clean, you know, work hard, then I would still be there. There would be a different, in a parallel universe, there is a Morag sitting there doing whatever I'm doing still in finance. And this is it. It's all about seizing the opportunity and taking the informed risk. I love this. And then and, seeing and what happens. I know that you you eventually moved here to the States, but when you were heading into school, did you have a sense of what you were going to do? Was finance the, the goal early on? 
So no, no, I didn't go to university in the end. Um, so I was in high school. I was going to be an engineer, hence physics and applied mathematics. But I had to do a third topic, and it was economics. And in there, there was a chapter on how banks create money, and it was fascinating to me. I thought, oh, I'm going to go into finance. And I, I made the informed choice not to go to university because I knew I'd have fun and I'd do okay. But I decided I'd do four years. Yeah, I'd go in straight into work. I did my undergraduate at night school. So every Tuesday and Thursday from six to nine, I went to the local community college and did my undergraduate there. But what that meant was four years later, I'd got the degree and the work experience, which then accelerated my career in the bank. So, no, again, it was another seize the moment. I was going one path, then pivoted to another, and then even within the banking industry, had an opportunity to roll out Kaizen training, as it was back then, Six Sigma, and dealing with hundreds of years of bureaucracy at the time, you know, carbon paper, everything in triplicate. But I found I loved facilitation. I got to work with the branches and analyze the impact of the savings they were creating, that got me onto the facilitation track, but also then the leadership development track, which is where I pivoted from numbers to the human side, because I recognize you can have the best spreadsheet you want, but if you don't invest in how business gets done through the quality of the relationships on your team or whatever, then you're not going to deliver the results that you've put in your cash flow forecast. Really and glad so that brings us to the story. I'm arc so glad you're explaining here. that, though, because it's sort of, it's funny to hear a numbers person because, you know, that that's your origin story, because mm -hmm. clearly in the introduction, you're a people person, you're a relationship based yep. person. And you you kind of came to that through this realization that you could have this perfect numbers. But that's like you're like, ta-da, great spreadsheet. And you're like, oh, why are things still not working? Oh, the people um, yep. <laughs> that like that actually brought it even to a sharper focus, the need to be people focused and human focused uh, first. At what point did you start getting the, the itch to become your own business, your own boss, so to leave the comfort and safety uh, or relative, I guess we thought then safety the of being in a, the illusion of safety in a company? So it's funny. I've always had at the back of my mind the idea of running my own business, but it was going to be like a tea room or a wedding dress shop, you know, like say yes to the dress. I love that show. Um, I had never thought of me and what I do as the product or service. But I, I'm about to share this story in my new book, You, Me, We. It's 18 years in the telling. You are probably person number eight. Who knows? And of course, anybody who's listening in. Um, but there was a push. The universe gave me a push. So I had just exited from my corporate career, which was 15 years in finance, seven years working for the American telecom company. I joined another organization. I was not in the best frame of mind, I know that. But on day five, they invited me to leave, which is the British way of saying they fired me. And that to me was such a gut punch. The shame, the fear, the terror in one moment and then I can still remember the conversation with my other half at the time, which is, well, it looks like I'm starting my own business. Because I was also getting inquiries from alumni from that American company, from graduates of programs I'd done in-house. And so the, the mantra was, we'll give it a year and see what happens. And Sky Team is now 15 years old and thriving and working with leaders from 20 countries on six continents. And so... In that story arc is Amy finally putting down the burden of carrying the 
oh my god you got fired because americans teach treat that as a badge of honor being british no that's hugely like ah! um but you know what doesn't matter because the story i was still carrying this is all with the theme that's going through our conversation robbie was that if anybody found out then i would be less than notwithstanding a successful company that's won awards written three books a successful corporate career before it that one moment could have been enough to bring me to my knees but instead like a phoenix from the ashes is how i'm describing it in the book something else emerged so it's been at the back of my mind the universe said ha today's the day that's where i got the desire to run sky team and how and it's 15 years ago i I mean, yeah. you're you're talking also about this. What could have been a very crippling moment um, of of like hesitation that could have caused you to to not take any leaps forward. At it, you you were already kind of frazzled in that moment about mm -hmm. what to do next. Um, but you have these inquiries because you're good at your job and people like you, which is I think always mm -hmm. like the start of things. But there's still a difference between that and a business. I guess I, I'm. I think that you could have easily had like a little a little kind of side hustle while you were looking for work, you know, taking on a few consulting gigs or something. But but did you know other entrepreneurs at the time? Like, were you around that community, that culture? Did you have a sense of a business around it? Well, from my finance career, yes, because I'd spent years analyzing balance sheets, profit and loss, lending millions of pounds to companies at all stages of their um, life cycle. So I understood the mechanics of business. It's essentially earn more than you spend. Okay. And it's the same as managing our own pocketbooks. Hey folks, you heard it here spend. first. You heard it here first. Morag said it. Here's the mechanics uh -huh. of business. You, you earn more than you spend. That's, that's brilliant. That's, yes. Yeah. Um, and whenever you earn money, put a percentage aside for your taxes and for your pensions and stuff. And then when you get the bill, you've got the money to pay it. It's not rocket science, but it is a discipline. Yes. But here is the other mistake I made early in my career. As much as everything I do now is around the power of winning relationships, early in my career, and I repeated this a bit when I started Sky Team, I am very independent. And what that meant early in my corporate career was head down, work hard, eventually you'll get recognized. So I wasn't tooting my own horn. I wasn't asking. I wasn't pushing as much as with hindsight I could have been. And in my own uh, business career, um, I am bold, but I also did it individually. Whereas now I do have a strong network. I mean, only yesterday somebody approached me for, can I give you, could I help her create a proposal for a client engagement that she's going for? And I, I'm absolutely abundance and generosity. So I cleaned up one of I'd done and I sent it to her and she's over the moon because she's not having to reinvent the wheel. So creating that tribe, I think, is critical advice early in your career and, and not going alone, because the more people who know what you're trying to achieve, who have skin in the game, the more people you've got opening the doors or thinking of you and creating opportunities that might not otherwise come your way. Now you're making me think of my most recent book. <laughs> so okay, in, my, yes, in exactly. my most recent book, I have this whole piece this. about how to wake up your network and how to have conversations with people who already know, like, and trust you, who are either likely yep. prospects or likely referral partners. Because like you're saying, if they understand what you're trying to do, one, you'll create a better end product from their input, either personal input or their, their sense of the market. But they'll also have more interest in telling other people because they'll feel like, one, you heard them, 
You know, yep. they actually believe they have some buy-in around what you're trying to create. And they'll have a really good sense of who is the right person to refer to you as opposed to the mentality that a lot, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do at first, which is I see something people need. I'm going to go and tinker on my own until I create some sort of product solution offer. And then when I go to the marketplace, the marketplace is like, who are you? What is this? I don't need this. And it's so frustrating as the entrepreneur, as the expert, but like opening yourself up. And I had this moment where I realized that when I, when I left my day job to focus full-time on entrepreneurship, I did not step out on my own as much as it was sort of like, I'm going out on my own. I, I realized I had already built up and was going to more thoughtfully build up um, the community around me. And mm-hmm. like you said, like it, there's the, there's the who, you know, and there's the people you nurture. So I, I love this. And, but, I, and you know, what's interesting, I just want to say as a, as a newer, newly minted entrepreneur, you had, an, um, I'm gonna call it a strength, uh, a gift that a lot of people don't have, which is you actually did understand the behind the scenes, the, 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 the money part in particular mm-hmm. of a business most people just have a great idea <laughs> and they don't yes. have that other skill. Um, what was the part that you felt like you really needed to bring other people in on then? Like, like what was the piece that you felt? Well, that's not my, like I have my lane, the things I know really well, like where, where did you start thinking about building out a team? Cause I noticed that your company even is not branded specifically to you, but you know, when did it start to be kind of become more of a team endeavor and who were you initially needing to bring in? Yeah, and that, that was the whole dilemma. I mean, naming a company is so, it's like naming a book. It is so hard. And everybody said, oh, no, that reminds me of the kid at school that was horrible. You know, don't call your baby that thing. And so the idea of being Morag Barrett and Associates or moragbarrett.com just felt too egotistical to me. And so hence it was Sky Associates and Sky for the Isle of Sky because I'm Morag McLeod by birth and that's where the clan comes from. And then as the team grew, or as the workload grew, I grew the team, which is where Eric and Ruby came in. And so we moved from Sky Associates to Sky Team because we were now a team. And that's what we also do. We build high performing teams. So that's the story between, behind why Sky Team. And I have always enjoyed working with and for others. This isn't the Morag show. I may be number one unicorn in this we have a thing about unicorns but we are three unicorns together and as a result that's why it's sky team and will remain that way the next book i've written two books the third book you me we that's coming out it's written by me eric and ruby because in the eight years since cultivate came out they have helped to shape our thinking and create the content and work with the leaders that has informed what we're sharing and how to show up as a best friend at work in response to the Gallup 12 question of, do I have a best friend at work? We're turning on its head. That's a passive question. If you want to build a strong network, if you want to have allies at work, you need to show up as one and go first, not sit there and wait for everybody else to come to you. And that's what we're sharing in our new book, You, Me, We. So it's a team approach. It always has been, even if I worked independently, I recognize that success comes from the interdependability. I appreciate this. And I want to now shift the gear a little bit as we talk about relationships. We've been sort of, I mean, it's been a through line of this whole conversation, clearly. But when you're thinking about 
nurturing these connections. I mean, you have sort of your inner circle, which, you know, you probably don't put a lot of energy into because you know you're going to stay in touch with those people. But I'm wondering about the second and third tiers or second and third layers out. People you like, I want to preface with that. (laughs) These are people you enjoy and you just don't have a reason to see them right now. Maybe you see them annually at a conference or five years ago, you worked together on a project, but you're just not right now. How do you sort of nurture and and sustain those kinds of connections? Do you have any habits, philosophies, practices? Well, in fact, I'm going to say that the pandemic has been the best thing ever for these because with Zoom, I may not be able to come and meet you for coffee in person, Robbie, but the fact that you and I are together now is because of the power of technology and the power of introduction. So Hope Timberlake, who introduced the two of us. And so that's it. When people make... People within my inner circle, so Hope had been on my podcast and we had had an amazing conversation. So when she said, you need to meet Robbie, it was an easy yes. So first of all, that's going from first contact to now our second and third dates, easy. But also, what am I doing? I'm using things like LinkedIn. If I see somebody's got promoted, I'm sending them a message. Um, If somebody pops into my mind, I'm just sending them a text message that says, hey, you just popped into my mind. How's life? What's happening for you? And all of those little deposits make a difference. And of course, it gets reciprocated. Um, Eric on my team wrote a great article. He called it 2515, all about nurturing relationships, which is if it doesn't come naturally, create a system. And his 2515 was pick a timeline, whether it's every day or every week. And it's two face-to-face meetings. Of course, Zoom now counts. Five phone calls, emails, whatever. And then the other seven are however you want to do it. But if you're reaching out to 15 people in total every week, that flywheel starts to spin and it picks up momentum because people will start calling you back and then you're starting to nurture those warm leads and build a stronger connection either to achieve your goals or help them to achieve theirs. I love this flywheel um, visual, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, once it gets started, it does sort of work on its own, which is the beauty Mm -hmm. of it. Um, and thank you for giving us his his sort of outline, because I do think some people um, some people come on my show and they're like you. They're like, well, when I think of somebody, I react and I, I take action. And I've also known in working with my clients that I've, I've had people I had one conversation with a client who she says, you know, oh, uh, I had the most amazing conversation this person at this event. And I know she's going to love my book. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to send her a note after I'm like, did you not mention the book during your conversation? She goes, um, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> and I'm like, what, well, why not? She's like, uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you know, in the moment you have a resource, you have a suggestion, you want to make an introduction. You think someone should meet, like, I think like the getting over the hesitancy that generally people really appreciate that. Um, and they're more likely to reciprocate to someone who's doing it. But if you need to initially get going, I love the idea of carving out time. I actually now I'm starting something and I'm trying to think of who gave me this idea. I'm, it's not coming to my head right away. Follow up Friday. Someone I know is working on a book that has this concept in it. I'm going to find it. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> but I now have a time at four o'clock on Fridays that pops up and it's just 15 minutes and it's called Follow Up Friday. And it's for me to stop and think, what loops can I close? Mm-hmm. That, I, that were opened or not nudged, or maybe there's a nudge. Maybe I have to follow up and move things along. Maybe someone asked me a question. I didn't get back to them yet, but just a moment to pause to make sure that I, at least before the weekend takes over, I've done everything I can to like lob the, 
conversation back into their court, you know, like, and I don't want to be, I yeah. mean, we're all busy. And I just really appreciated that sort of idea of things that, that we can, um, we can both try to be reactive, like I'll, I'll do it when I think of it. And we can also have a little bit of guardrails in our life that helps us stay on course. And what I like about that, that reminds me of my friend, Howard Prager, who just wrote a book called Make Someone's Day. And it literally is catch people doing something right or seize that moment in those 15 minutes. How can I help move the conversation forward or provide that anecdote or that article to somebody that's relevant to our last conversation? And it doesn't have to take hours. And it doesn't have to mean that we hang out after work and you come home to meet my mother. And, you know, it can be done in a minute. But the implication and the ramifications, the ripple effects it creates can be huge. I, I figured out who it was, by the way. I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. Terry Lee Harrison was another person I got to know because of podcasting. Um, she's got a book coming out, or I think it's now just came out called High Level Networking. I was uh, pleased to be invited to endorse the book. And in that book, she talks about follow-up Friday. So we'll put that book in here in the show notes as well. Another great person to know. Uh, I, I love like the direction of this conversation that we're like, it's, it's very much about giving. I mean, it, there's mm -hmm. a sort of, I mean, it's almost like I didn't have to name that because I, I kind of wanted to name it because to you and I, this is a given. But for people who are listening, there's a, there's sort of a, 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 an abundance and a spirit of giving that is sort of in you, which is why I like you, which is why you're like, my, <laughs> you're like my people, right, Morag? Oh, you're my peeps too. Yeah, go. <laughs> What's the question? Because I'm, I'm leaning. I, I can't point because I know this is an audio, but I'll, uh, it, you're already getting me thinking of ideas. So what's the question I should be ask, answering? How, how do you <laughs> cultivate that? How, how could someone cultivate that in themselves? Because right now you're not even having to think about how to do this. It's just a given. But if someone doesn't have that innate reaction right now, and I have worked with people in corporate America who are leaving for entrepreneurship, who come out shell-shocked and very, very guarded and mm -hmm. they are then coming into an entrepreneurial community. They're like, why are people giving so much away? Why are you being so nice to me? <laughs> you know, like they don't yeah. know how to react. It's culturally so, so different. So how do we show up differently? Oh, my goodness. So many, so many suggestions and resources. So if you're listening in, grab a paper and pen. If you're driving, well, you'll just have to come back to this moment in the conversation. So first off, get ready to buy You, Me, We when that comes out later in 2022 because it introduces the ally mindset and the foundational element of that is abundance and generosity. Okay, so that's why I got goosebumps when you started using the word abundance. It's how I operate my life. So giving away IP, sharing the proposal, helping others to be successful, there is more than enough success to go around. We do not need to hoard information. That's the source of the politics, silos and turf wars in too many corporate environments. But how do you do it? I'm going to give you a couple of ways. So first of all, it's look up, step up. Sorry, look up, show up, step up. First is look up and notice others and how might you be able to help them, whether it's holding a door open or sharing a proposal or sharing a resource like the book you just mentioned with the Friday follow up um, tip. Then show up is making that choice. It goes back to your first question. What's leadership? It is a choice. So in that moment, choose how do I need to show up in this relationship, not just for your success, you, Robbie, but me, Morag. So do I need to talk more or talk less? Do I need to be assertive and directive or reflective and listening? 
and then finally step up and do it. But give yourself the grace to be human and make mistakes, which is, did I do my best? And if I talked a little bit too much, if I interrupted at times, then A, learn from it, but whole new breath, whole no, new day tomorrow, try again. So it's look up and assess, show up, be intentional about how you show up, and then step up and do it. And then my bit where you need the pen and paper. So you've got The Long Game by Dory Clark, long, How to Think Long in a Short-Term World. You've got The Infinite Game by uh, Simon Sinek. Both of those powerful reading in terms of we have been conditioned to run on our hamster wheel, to hoard that success is finite, it's me versus you. Well, my career tells me otherwise. We can have a win-win and I need to celebrate your wins even if it's what I hoped for, because when you win, I win as well. You know, th this is beautiful. We're going to put all those resources you mentioned in the show notes because those are great books. And um, you're making me think of a, of a dear friend. I've now shared this card three or four times this week, but my friend Melissa Smith, who founded mm -hmm. Association of Virtual Assistants, um, she has made a habit of sending me handwritten congratulations notes. And I have one right here on my desk when she sees good things happening in my business. And it's such a like, it's such a small thing, mm -hmm. but the fact that I keep bringing it up as like evidence, <laughs> it, it shows me like how, how it feels to receive that. It's the way I want others to feel about me. Um, it's the recognition that we're all kind of working together. We're supporting each other. It's collaborative. And, you know, maybe you don't start out of the gate doing what she's doing on a regular basis, but I love the simplicity of your look up, show up, step up. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Yes. And I'm okay. going to challenge you. Yes. I'm going to yes. challenge you that anybody could start doing this today. Do not fall into the fallacy of my company is not big enough. I'm not important enough. The clients aren't complex enough, especially the congratulations notes. Nobody ever says, please don't say thank you. Nobody is ever going to say, please do not congratulate me again on your, the perceived success of my business. So I double dog dare everybody listening. Before the end of today, when you finish listening to this conversation, I want you to send a note on LinkedIn, text, email to somebody that just says, thank you for making my day or thank you for that. Send it to Robbie and me for, hey, thank you for your podcast because that conversation made me think because it will make our day. So yeah. do it. Don't wait. It's you can true. start today. That's the leadership. Start today, not tomorrow. Every content creator out there would appreciate you hitting reply to their email or putting a thoughtful comment on their post or reaching out and telling them, you know, hey, I read your book and here's what how it impacted me. I mean, we're all all content creators are trying to add value out in the world. And, and the few people who take the time, it really does make a difference. It stands out. It does. And I want I would love to encourage more people to make that a habit. Um, for everybody. Yeah. Not just, uh, not just you and me, <laughs> which is a good start. I'm, I would take that. Um, so it, this has been, I mean, what a wonderful conversation as we're kind of heading towards the, the uh, end of it though. I have a question I always like to ask, which is one of my favorite questions here, which is, uh, you know, clearly Morag, we're going to stay to, you know, in touch and talking, but let's say it's a year from now and we are celebrating all of your success. I want to know what we're going to be toasting. What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? So what am I most looking forward to? Launching my new book, because this one is going to come out kicking and shouting and with big fanfare. 
The other two I let out with a whisper because it was the, oh, what if nobody we- reads it? And then it was like, oh, what if they do? Right now, Read You, Me, We is going to be amazing. We're going to be celebrating the impact that's having in helping us all to create our own ally mindset, to be a friend at work to others and for ourselves, which is the look up, show up, step up. It's going to have a huge impact in how and where work gets done. Anything on the personal front that you're going to be celebrating? Oh, maybe. Yes. Um, Let's see. On a personal front, well, I'm going to get back to ballroom dancing. I'll go with a safe thing. But uh, I am much in love with a new guy. So watch this space. Well, not a new guy. I've been singing for five years. But there you go. I'm being very un-British. I'm blushing now. And I yes, am going to celebrate all that with you. This year is going to be you. a transition year. <laughs> oh, amazing. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. This is fantastic. Morak, how can people find you and follow your work? Well, you can follow me. Obviously, connect with me on LinkedIn. And I promise if you send me a question and you want a resource, I will answer. So find me on LinkedIn. But you can also follow me at my website, skyteam, S-K-Y-E, team.com. And you will also be able to learn more about the book at youmewebook.com. Fantastic. We'll put all those links and others in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Morag, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. It's been my pleasure, Robbie. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Morag. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 279. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.